Are you all ready to hear the truth of God's Word? Yes. Amen. <laughs> if you're a guest and you're visiting with us, I'm glad that you're here. And we're going through the second chapter in the book of Galatians. And uh, we're in a section uh, in the book where Paul is defending his apostleship and the gospel. Now this passage is packed full of truth and meaning for all people, but especially for believers. Because it deals with backsliders. I thought maybe I'd get an amen, but I guess not. It deals with righteousness, self-righteousness, works and faith, the law and God's grace. And this passage needs to be proclaimed to the world. Paul, the apostle, he was no politician, but he wasn't one to mince words or talk in platitudes or to speak in what we might call politically correct terms. See, the letter to the Galatians is like Paul was writing to the Romans, only he's writing a brief because he's upset, he's mad. Okay, and what I, I'm not saying Paul's mad, but it's like he's mad. I mean, you think about this. He says the same thing in only six chapters that it took him 16 chapters in Romans to say. And what I mean by that is this. You ever notice how when your mama got to the point when she was, she was real quick when she got to the point when she was mad. You know, there wasn't any um, commentary, there wasn't any dialogue, there wasn't any introduction, just boom. I'm going to tell you how it is right here, right now. That's what Paul is doing in the book of Galatians. And we enter the text in a few moments, Paul's going to come out with both guns blazing. And he, he does not thank God for these people, not even once. Most of his other letters, it says, I thank God for you. But he doesn't do that in the book of Galatians. I mean, he thanked God for the Corinthians. And they were in a terrible mess. And he thanked God for them. But he didn't thank God for these people. Instead, he came out with his guns blazing. And it doesn't take you long to figure out what the problem is. You see, this morning, I want you to make a connection. I want you to connect the dots, if you will. There's nothing new under the sun, according to what Solomon tells us. And you see, we are living in days when it's the same way as it was when Paul was writing these letters. See, we would much rather do something for God... Do something for him than simply to relate to him. To do something for God is exactly what our flesh desires. You know, let's go to work for him. Let's go do this for God. Let's go do something. I've got to do something or he won't accept me. That sounds an awful lot like works. The message of the grace of Christ says, no, you do what you do because you have already been accepted. Amen. 
Isn't that beautiful? You know, people might say something like, well, I've got to do something so he will love me. No. No. He already loves you. That's why you do what you do. See, this little truth changes our whole mentality. And the mentality of the law, it will cripple your spiritual life. And it will bring you pain that you didn't even think could be there. Look in Galatians with me, if you will, in chapter 2. I want to pick up in verse 11 and uh, read down through 16. Paul writes this. He says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for how it teaches us and challenges us. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit, even now, would have his way in our hearts. And that he would show us the truth of what you are telling us about you and about us. And Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would have his way in each one of our hearts. We ask this in the mighty and precious name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen. You know, it's kind of odd. The way our society gets around someone who stands on their convictions these days is to call them out and say that they are arrogant. They do that because they don't want to hear the message. And I believe I served on staff at another church, not this one. I have to put that in there. With a person who had the gift of dissension. Everywhere she went, she would speak the truth in love. But you know, that's a misappropriation of that verse. Speaking the truth is referred to as speaking the word of God in love. It's not bashing someone else's existence in a nice way. Anyway, my point is that's not the case here with Paul. As he confronts Peter, Cephas, when he came to Antioch, 
You see, Paul and Barnabas were ministers in the church in Antioch. And they had apparently been invited Peter, or Peter had taken upon himself to conduct services in Antioch. For whatever reason, the three of them were there in Antioch. And Antioch was not only a great church, it was the first great Gentile church. Think about this, non-Jewish you have, the, the, you, know, you have Christianity being spread outside of Jerusalem and they're telling people about Jesus Christ and people are coming to Christ and they're, they're giving their hearts and lives to him and so the church is growing. You have this Gentile church that is, that is a, a great church. It's a missionary church. They're sending out missionaries and it was primarily made up of Gentile believers. So Peter comes. He begins ministry in Antioch and he joined right in with the Gentiles. Fellowshipping with them, eating with them, sharing with them. However, some of these, what we want to call Judaizers, religionists if you will, came from Jerusalem and and they they came to see what was going on there and they, they visited the church. And they were astounded to find Peter, this great apostle, this great Jew, that was actually having fellowship with this people. These Gentiles. How could you have fellowship with a Gentile? I told you last week that the Jew-Gentile prejudice was the greatest we've ever known to mankind. They didn't have any dealings with the Gentiles. So here they come to Antioch and they find Peter fellowshipping and eating so freely with the Gentiles, even if they were believers in Jesus Christ. Now remember these Judaizers, they believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They they believed in the gospel, but they thought it was only an addition to their existing religion. And they said if people were to be saved, they had to undergo circumcision... They had to subject, sub, excuse me, subject themselves to the law of Moses. They had to adopt the ritual and the, the ceremonies of the existing religion. They had to practice the rules and regulations of that religion and observe strict diet laws like prohibiting the, the eating of pork and buying meat that was purchased there in the marketplace. And they had to separate themselves and have no fellowship with Gentiles who'd not been circumcised and didn't subject themselves to the law of Moses or to that religion. These were the Judaizers. They come in, and so Paul is is upset because he sees Peter being two-faced about it. He's eating with them until someone else comes, and then he's pulling away and saying, no, I don't have any, any dealings with them. So when the Judaizers saw Peter, that great Jewish apostle, eating with the Gentiles, they rebuked him. They even invoked James's name, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, if you will. They invoked his name, although James did not support their position. But Peter weakened under this attack, and he withdrew fellowship, close fellowship with the Gentiles. And you know what happened? When he withdrew his fellowship, the church split. The church split Jews and Gentiles. See, the church became tragically divided as any church does when a leader becomes a people pleaser or begins to follow cliques 
or follows the critics. But look how severe the the split was. Peter withdrew and others separated themselves from the Gentiles as well. Their argument was so strong that even a senior minister, Barnabas, was led to join their ranks. And Paul stood alone among the leaders to fight for the truth of the gospel. Look at Peter's failure here, just briefly. He was hypocritical. He was saying one thing and doing another. He followed the crowd simply because they put pressure on him and even when he knew better. I mean, you remember in Acts, his his vision of the sheet coming down and God saying, don't declare unclean what I've declared clean. He realized then that the gospel was for all people and so he began to preach to Gentiles too. And now he's withdrawing fellowship and saying, you know, because somebody else came in and and was, was taking that away from him. See, he esteemed other people better than others. Folks, this is Peter's failure. He was hypocritical, he followed the crowd, and he, he was playing favorites. Let me get to the meat of what this passage is talking about. It's a big word called justification. Don't be afraid of it. It's your friend. Trust me. Justification. What does that word mean? The word justify is a legal term taken from the courts... And it pictures a person on trial before God. Think about this. As a believer in Jesus Christ, when you've accepted him as your Savior and Lord, when God, the righteous judge, looks upon you, it is just as if he was looking at his son. Justification. I know that's oversimplifying. But really, that's, that's what that means. I mean, we've committed the most heinous crimes. We've rebelled against God. We've taken our relationship away from God. We've turned our back on Him. You know it and I know it. We can look in the news and we know that we've turned our back on God. We've committed a heinous crime. He is the Creator. And the root of this word justification means righteousness. So it certainly has something to do with our right standing before God. Now listen. Listen. If we need to be justified, then it goes without saying that our spiritual condition is one of unrighteousness. I mean, in Romans 3, it says there is none righteous. No, not one. See if this sounds like where we're at today in our country. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. 
whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We are that unrighteous. See, our standing with God is not right, neither judicially nor morally. And we must answer and be judged by the one who created us. Since God's righteousness is expressed in the moral law as the standard, folks, we took a stand a long time ago. We put God's moral law out here on a rock out in front of our church. It's out there in red granite. You can go see it. And the bottom line is we cannot keep it fully. Oh, we try. We want to. But we physically cannot do that. And that's why we need Jesus. See, our nature as sinners keeps us at enmity with God, at hostility, at odds with God. And our practice of sin continues to offend the holiness of God. And we we need being put into a right standing with God. You see, being a Christian means that you possess a new righteousness. Hallelujah. One that's been given to you by God... Through Jesus Christ. I love this. Martin Luther, he wrote this. He said, a Christian is not he who has no sin. But he to whom God imputes not his sin through faith in Christ. Imputes not means he doesn't credit you with your sin through faith in Jesus Christ. See, this talk about receiving, being credited with righteousness that is not our own, is part of this doctrine of justification. And it's not some molehill that you know, professors and theologians argue over. It's a vital part of our salvation experience. It is the very heart of our understanding and applying the gospel in our own lives. We have no gospel other than the gospel of grace through the justifying work of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for each one of us. If that didn't happen, I got nothing to say and I'm done. But since it did happen, I have an opportunity and a commitment and a mandate to share that with you. The fact that Jesus Christ died for each and every one of you. For me. Even in the same way. See, we have to guard the the treasure of the gospel that's been entrusted to us. And you may ask the question, well, why is this an issue for us today? I'll tell you why. Because there's the possibility of deviations. All it takes is a little bit off course. If this is the course and we go a little bit this way or a little bit this way, then we're not preaching the gospel. 
Deviations demand correction. As evidenced by Paul calling Peter out and saying, what are you doing? And what are you doing for the cause of the gospel in this? What are you telling these people if they are second-class citizens? If you, if you believe that Christ saved them, then the, the body of Christ is one. And I've heard it put this way many times. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from or what your skin color or who you belong to or what your last name is or what your job is. The foot of the cross, the ground is level for every person. You see, the gospel requires examination. Peter needed some examination as to what he was communicating to these Gentiles concerning the gospel of grace. And so did Barnabas because he was swept up in that hypocrisy. They both needed to come out of that. They both needed to come clean. And Paul calls them out on it. And I want to say this to you. Actions speak way louder than words. You know, it's amazing because we, we see what other people do. We don't always hear what they're saying. But we can tell. The gospel requires examination, but we also need this today. Why is it an issue? Because the reality of substitutions. <laughs> you see, justification is contrary to popular opinion. Look at verse 12. For prior, prior to coming... To the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. Hmm. Popular opinion says, Peter, don't eat with those Gentiles. You see, justification doesn't mesh with popular opinion. Because it doesn't matter which way that wind blows. What matters is that it's founded on the Word of God. See, this is important. And it's founded here. And this is what it's tied to, is God's Word. It's not... Public opinion can change. It can blow in the breeze. Today it's hot this way, tomorrow it's hot that way. But when you're founded on the Word of God, it stays consistent. It stays the same. It lasts forever. See, people want to make up their own theology to fit whatever they desire to do. People want to make up their own theology that fits what they desire to do. And so what we do is we take out the pieces that we don't like and we put our own in there. And that, my friends, is not the gospel. That's a substitution. And the reason that justification is important and an issue for us today is we need to recognize there are people that want to create theology that fits their opinion and what they desire to do. That's not what God's Word says. Hypocrisy can show up in weak human vessels. I mean... The motivation to offer carnal substitutes for the work of Christ. It often comes 
due to the hypocrisy of believers. People who change just a little bit so they can be in step with society rather than in step with God. You see it and I see it. And it goes on in our nation all the time. Many different churches, many different denominations. Some from our tribe. But notice the truth of justification of this doctrine that I'm talking about. Justification is the language of the straight and narrow. Those that follow the way of Christ. Note how the believers fail to be straightforward about their gospel. What does it say in verse 14? But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. They're talking out of both sides of their mouth. They're being two-faced about it. They're not being straight up about it. And what Peter, what Paul is saying is they they need to be straight about the gospel. It's either for all people, for all time, in every situation, Jesus Christ died for them or he didn't. Uh, That sounds like an absolute truth. Right. And what Paul is saying is there needs to be no uh, deviating. There needs to be no substitutions. Uh, The truth of, of justification is that it's straightforward. We know what the gospel says. And justification is a divine doctrine. It's from God. Are you going to tell him that he didn't send his son to die for you? No. It's from God. See, this evident, this is evident because God himself became man. The incarnation. He came to this earth becoming a man. And he, de- he fulfilled the, the, the demands of the law on our behalf. And so bearing our transgression, our sin, our iniquities on the cross. So that we could be declared righteous before God. You know, in verse 15, it says, We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. The word there he uses means rank sinners, like bad sinners, like smelly, rank sinners. We're Jews, we're not rank sinners like the Gentiles. But then, He goes on in verse 16 and he says it's the same faith that saves us that saved them. See, all the Jews who had believed in Christ, they had confessed the very same thing that the rank sinners had confessed. Justification is the only claim to righteousness. And really, the Greek expresses it in this way. The solitary means, the only way to be justified is through Christ Jesus. So yeah, it is an exclusive gospel. There's not many ways that lead to the Father. There is one way that leads to the Father. See, justification means to count someone righteous. To reckon, to credit We know about credit, don't we? To account, to judge, to treat, 
to look upon as righteous. And you see, justification is necessary because of the sin and the alienation of people from God. It's our sin. It's our sin that caused the rift between us and God. It's our sin that alienated us from God so that he could no longer look upon us. It's our sin. It's the things that we've done. And in a society that doesn't want to take accountability for anything, you need to understand it's your sin that put him on the cross. It was my sin that put him on the cross. The reason that Jesus died was for me and it was for you. And justification is necessary because that sin that alienated us from God. We've rebelled. We've taken our lives into our own hands. We live how we want to live. Most of us. We do what we want to do. If we don't want to worship God, we don't go. If we don't want to live for him, we don't. If we want to go here, we go here. If we want to go there, we go there. And we spend our money however we choose. Because we don't want anybody telling us anything about us. Stay out of my life. I'll do it the way I please. Folks, that's rebellion. Against an almighty God who is our creator. We've become a sinful and ungodly people. An enemy of God. Pushing him out of our lives and... Wanting little, if anything, from God. Oh yeah, when we hear that C word, cancer. God, why would you let this happen? My question is, why not? We live in an ungodly society. We've turned our back on him. To me, why wouldn't he do that? We deserve it. We deserve what comes to us. Because of our sinful nature. Because of our sinful acts. As a people and as individuals. But recognize this. Justification is also necessary because of the wrath of God. I mean, sin has woken up God's wrath. God is angry over our rebellion, over our ungodliness, over our hostility, over our desertion, over our sin, over our unrighteousness. We don't have right standing before God. And so justification is necessary to make us reconciled to God. We've broken our relationship with God. And so the greatest need in your life today is to discover how your relationship with God can be restored. You see, God justifies a person because of his son, Jesus Christ. I mean, when we believe in Jesus, God takes our faith and counts it as righteousness. We're not righteous, but God considers and credits our faith as righteousness. And God is willing to do this because he loves us so very, very much. He loves us. God is willing to do this Because of what Jesus Christ, his son, has done for all people. I mean, Jesus came. He lived a sinless life. He never broke the law of God. Never went contrary to God's will. Not even once. And he came into the world to die 
so that he could carry our sins, so that he would pay that cost, pay that penalty that we deserve. He took the wrath of God, carrying out our condemnation. And Jesus Christ came in the world to raise from the dead, conquering death. Conquering death for us. We sang that song, I have no fear because I'm a child of God. We have no fear of death because I'm a child of God. See, when we believe in Christ, God takes our belief and he counts it as righteousness. We're righteous in Christ. Not in anything we've done, but in Christ, in Christ alone, we are righteous before God. He counts that as death, uh, our death in Christ. I mean, we are counted as already having died in Christ. Already had the penalty paid. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm not going to get what I deserve. Praise God. And he counts us as having resurrected in Christ. That we are counted as already having been raised in Christ. See, God loves us so much that he gave his son. And anyone who honors and accepts and believes on his son, God justifies. God counts that person, judges that person, treats that person as if they are innocent. That person was not made innocent. They are guilty. We know it and God knows it. But he treats them just as if they were innocent. I love that. I love that. It's God who justifies the ungodly. What incredible mercy. What undeserved grace. That even in my sin, he justifies me and said, Child, you're right with me. Things are good. See, I, I love this doctrine. It's so important because Paul was willing to stake everything on it. I mean, he willingly corrected Peter when Peter was wishy-washy about it. And he abandoned all of his works of righteousness. Think about Paul for a moment. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He did all the things he was supposed to do. And he said, I would count all of that, being a Pharisee of Pharisees, I would count all of that as rubbish, as garbage, as dung to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He would count all of that as refuse. What is the gospel of grace? What is that? It's the good news. It's the good news that sinners are declared not guilty. The good news that we are pardoned and accepted by God's sheer grace on the basis of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary for us. I can't think of any better news than to know that because of what Christ did, I'm saved for all eternity. Works cannot save us. Only God's grace can save us. Salvation cannot be earned. It is a gift from God for undeserving sinners. To receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, a person must trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. 
when you trust Christ, God will begin to change. He will begin to transform you. You are a new creature. Old things passed away.